Shalom, Salam, Namaste, greetings of peace. This is Harlem University Radio, and uh, I'm Naeem Abdurafi, your host. Our mission, encouraging the reading of what should be read, encouraging the writing of what should be written. This is the Harlem U mission. Harlem University professors share memoirs they are writing and history they are reading. You are invited to join the faculty, no degree necessary. To learn more about this by connecting uh, at the Facebook page, and the, the name of the page is Harlem University Radio, and um, also uh, at Twitter, Radio Harlem One. Again, Radio Harlem One, the numeral one. Okay, um, before I, let me also uh, extend an invitation to um, um, history bibliophiles or, or uh, collectors of history books. Um, I have a number of them. Uh, the books I have are um, 100 years old or older. I have some that are uh, not, not as old. Um, the book from which I'll be reading tonight was published in 1936. And uh, again, I have some that are older and some uh, much older. I have, I have some published in the uh, in the 19th century. So if you're interested in this, uh, connect with me. All right. So let's get to tonight's work. So we're going to um, be talking about, uh, well, the chapter title is uh, Pioneers of Civilization in the Western Mediterranean World. So we're going to be talking about the early Romans uh, and, and, and others. And I'll be reading from um, the book um, On the Road to Civilization, A World History, published in 1936. The authors, Professor Albert Kerr Heckel, H-E-C-K-E-L, and James G. Sigmund, S-I-G-M-A-N. All right. Chapter 12. Pioneers of Civilization in the Western Mediterranean World. <coughs> Early Peoples in the Western Mediterranean Basin. When Mussolini became the leader of Italy, he had a wealth of tradition upon which to build a strong national patriotism. From early times, we find the Italians the center of this Western Mediter Mediterranean world while Rome, the central city of Italy, was destined to establish uh, political supremacy over the whole Mediterranean basis, basin. <coughs> but Italy was to have a long history before Rome had its beginnings. Well, I guess that should be Italy had a long history before, its, uh, before Rome had its beginnings. Its early inhabitants 
had only a Stone Age civilization. When the Hellenes pushed into the Grecian Peninsula around 1200 BC, another Indo-European group of people migrated to Italy and spread over most of the central and southern parts. One of these warlike nomadic tribes settled in small communities on a cluster of hills near the Tiber River. These settlers are known in history as Latins. Their trading post at a ford in the Tiber became known as Rome. Just as our civilization in America today is the product of the contributions of many different people, so Rome grew by a mixture of peoples and a continuation of early civilizations. In the west central part of the Italian peninsula, there lived a seafaring people called the Etruscans. We do not know to what branch of the white race they belonged, nor from where they came. They left many inscriptions, but as yet, nobody has been able to read them. So this is 1936, maybe that has changed. Uh, By the 8th century BC, the Etruscans had come to be the most powerful people in Italy. They were skilled in engineering, as evidenced by their paved roads, drainage and irrigation canals, aqueducts, and bridges. The objects of art found uh, in Etruscan graves were for the most part imported from other lands. The walls of Etruscan tombs were covered with paintings, which have little value as works of art, but are of great importance as records of the life and customs of the people. These people exerted a powerful influence on early Rome. From them, the Romans got their military organization, their architecture, particularly the the arch, the paving of roads, the building of sewers and aqueducts, and some of the elements of government and religion. In the 8th century BC, the Greeks began to colonize Sicily and southern Italy, or Magna Graecia, uh, where they built uh, several flourishing cities. From the extreme east of the Mediterranean came the Phoenicians, who established Carthage, the, the greatest of Phoenician colonies in northern Africa. The Carthaginians penetrated Sicily and even southern Italy in their commercial enterprises. In the 5th century BC, an Aryan people called the Gauls, or Celts, or Celts, if you like, pushed southward over the Alps from Central Europe and settled in northern Italy. When they entered the peninsula, there were a bold, they were, a, a bold and undisciplined race in a primitive stage of civilization. They became troublesome enemies of the early Roman Republic. These various people were factors in Roman culture, each making some contribution to what ultimately became Roman civilization. So let me stop here and um, add to my introduction by saying simply this, that my hero 
Socrates, um, that there is but one evil, and that evil is ignorance. And our ignorance, our present-day ignorance um, about uh, about many things, um, is 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 most uh, uh, most telling and um, uh, most unfortunate uh, with regard to uh, where history is concerned. Um, so um, history is one of those things that about which we should not be ignorant. Uh, it is a uh, a field of knowledge um, to which we should all be devoted to some extent. And some will argue that no, um, our advancement um, is is because of our knowledge uh, in other areas. And I will say to that that those advancements came about because of necessity. We needed things. We wanted things. We were uncomfortable. Um, we invented the things that we needed. Um, but we, we've never, uh, not to, to the, the extent necessary, we've never viewed history as uh, an, an, an area of, of, uh, of, of great concern, not, not nearly the, uh, the concern that we should have. So it's for this reason that I am reading about Rome and have been reading about Hellenism and, and, and the, the ancient Greeks and the, and the um, civilization that developed in the Nile Valley and, and the civilization that developed uh, in the, um, the Tigris and Euphrates uh, uh, valleys. Um, and um, because that is our history. We're, we're Westerners um, culturally, and, and that is what is most important. We're Westerners. So the founding of Rome, next topic. The early history of Rome is based uh, on a mass of legends, many of which were deliberately invented in a later period. The traditional date of the founding of the city is 753 BC, but it is likely that Rome developed long before that time, for the Romans knew nothing of their own origin and growth. The settlement was at the crossroads of two natural traffic routes, one running northward and southward, and the other along the Tiber uh, Tiger, uh, Valley, um, well, the Tiber River Valley. <clears throat> and of course, that runs um, northeast and, and southwesterly. So the northward, north, 
northward and, and southward uh, route would be the Mediterranean or specifically uh, the uh, Tyrrhenian uh, uh, Sea. So um, Rome is very well situated. <clears throat> Etruscan merchants came down to Rome to sell their wares to the peasants who came up from Latium, or Latium. Being near the mouth of the Tiber, yet 12 in, miles inland from the sea, the Tyrrhenian Sea or the Mediterranean Sea, Rome was protected from the pirates, pirates of the Mediterranean. The hills afforded safety for the people and their trade. Neighboring peoples were naturally attracted as immigrants to this favorable location, and the city doubtless absorbed nearby settlements conquered in war. Of the people who came from other parts of Italy, uh, very likely the greatest number were Etruscans, who took over the political control, political control of Rome. There were two classes among Roman citizens, the nobles or patricians from the Latin pat patris or fathers, uh, or that should be patris, I guess, um, or fathers, uh, and the common people, the plebeians, <clears throat> from the Latin plebes, or crowd. The patricians belonged to the, quote-unquote, first families of Rome, claiming descent from the founders of the city. The plebeians, who were descendants of foreigners and conquered people, could not boast of family and were therefore denied social, political, legal, and religious rights and privileges. In the early days of Rome, the plebeians were forbidden even to own land, but this prohibition was soon withdrawn. The overthrow of the kings, next topic. In time, the people uh, resenting the tyranny of the Etruscan kings revolted overthrew them, the monarchy, and established a republic. So this is 509 uh, BC. Uh, as was true of our American Revolution, the organization of the new government retained many features of the old, with certain safeguards against too strong an executive. Instead of the king, two executives called consuls were chosen, C-O-N-S-U-L. They were elected annually by an assembly of the fighting men. In a time of great crisis, when the safety of the state seemed to demand a single ruler with absolute power, a dictator might be appointed to act as a sort of temporary king until the crisis passed. In any case, not longer than six months. And in any case, not longer than six months. Under the kings, there had been a council of 300 elders, known as the Senate, from the Latin asenex, which means old man. Okay. Uh, 300 elders. The Senate was retained under the Republic, but was changed from an advisory body into a real power in public uh, affairs. The senators served for life. And this ensured a stability of leadership, which the Greek city-states always lacked. The Senate 
was at first a purely patrician body, the first family people, but its aristocratic character was later modified by admitting to membership a certain number of wealthy plebeians. There were two popular assemblies. The one that was made up of citizen soldiers, the the Comitia Centuratia, was the more important because it was controlled by the wealthy patricians. The plebeians had little part in government of the early republic. Only patricians could hold office. Only patricians were eligible for the Senate, and they controlled the the Comitia Centuratia, or the Centuriate Assembly. The plebeians fight for equality. Next topic. Just as we see recurring conflict between labor and capital today, okay, this is 1936, and that was the case in the U.S. So in Rome, we observe that class inequality resulted in class conflict, as as has happened so often in history. The rich plebeians joined with the poor plebeians in opposition to patrician rule. Their opportunity came on the eve of a war with the neighboring people. The plebeian soldiers mutinied, and the whole body of plebeians seceded from the city and returned only when concessions were promised. The plebeians were given two magistrates uh, of their own called uh, tribunes or tribunes. Uh, The number was later increased to 10. Using a veto power, uh, tribunes, I think tribunes is correct, could protect the plebeians from oppressive acts by the patrician magistrates. A tribune's uh, veto could halt legislation or stop executive action. The tribunes were chosen by the plebeians themselves, who formed an assembly for the purpose, the Council of Plebeians. The plebeians next demanded that laws be put into writing. Because there was no written law, plebeians were almost entirely ignorant of the law, and patrician judges couldn't manipulate it to serve patrician interests. Plebeians suffered especially under the harsh rules against debt. A man who could not pay his debts became the creditor's slave. After 10 years of agitation, a dictatorship of 10 men called the Decembers was established for a year, during which time the laws were to be codified. These 10 men drafted a code known as the Twelve Tables, famous in Roman history. The the plebeians continued their struggle for fuller rights, and patrician privileges were gradually broken down. The right to intermarry with patricians was gained. Plebeian debtors, debtors won some relief from financial oppression, and eventually the plebeians became eligible for all political, legal, and religious offices in the state. The Roman state became, in form, a republic from the Latin res publicae, a thing of the people. Les res publica, a thing of the people. Okay, 
topic, Traits of the Early Romans. As we shall learn later, the Romans expanded their small settlements into a world empire. So the discussion of the Romans, the development of the world empire is, is, is for next week. Okay. What traits should we expect to find in a people who could build on so grand a scale? Were they a vain, greedy, swashbuckling, ambitious people? Um, The Roman legends give us some clue. For while they have no value as historical fact, they have historical significance in that they reveal something of the mind and character of the early Romans. That is, they retain the legends that uh, appeal to them. Okay, many of the legends are stories of heroic adventure and patriotic devotion. Brutus condemned his traitor sons to death. Horatius saved Rome by defending a bridge against uh, an army. Cincinnatus left his farm to become dictator of Rome when the city was in danger defeated the enemy, and then gave up his office to go back to his plowing. Virginius plunged a knife into his daughter's heart to save her from dishonor. Regulus, a Roman prisoner at Carthage, was sent home to to negotiate for peace, but instead exhorted his people to continue the fight, calmly returning to Carthage to suffer a painful Death. So I guess these are the, the Punic Wars uh, between Carthage and, and Rome. Okay, these, these legends are an eloquent testimonial to the early Roman ideal uh, of public and private virtue. The early Roman was a hard-headed, practical man, not much interested in theories, not one who would dream of empire, but an industrious, frugal farmer with a passionate love of country and a a sterling fidelity to his state. He was not hungry for wealth or power, but found contentment in the simple life on his farm. He fought for the safety of his state, and if perchance the wars added new territories, he accepted the situation and made the best of it. He had the ability to cooperate with his fellows which made organization possible. He had an honest and rugged character. He was stubborn and determined and self-reliant. These simple virtues were maintained for many generations. And as a result, the Romans built the greatest state in ancient times, the Roman family. In Rome, the family had an importance which was unusual in history. The family was not only the basis of the state and of religion, but it was the school for the stern virtues in Roman life. The father was the supreme authority in the family, which included his wife, unmarried daughters, and sons and their wives and children. He had the legal right to punish, sell into slavery, or kill any member of the family, and there was no appeal of his judgment. 
as high priest of the family. He performed the religious rites, and it was in the home that the Roman boy was taught obedience, honesty, hard work, respect for law, and other virtues which were esteemed by the patriotic citizen. Despite the legal subordination of women, their actual position was one of considerable independence. They shared in the social life of the home. A Roman was not a Roman woman was not forced to lead the secluded life of the Athenian woman. The Roman matron in the Republic was an honor not only to Rome, but to womanhood through the ages. Roman religion, next topic. Religion in Rome began, as did other primitive beliefs, in nature worship. It was believed that unseen spirits were active in causing phenomena now easily explained by science. Earthquakes, the crash of thunder, change of seasons, growth or, or failure of crops, fire, wind, death. The importance of the Roman family made those spirits which guarded the home the most important. Janus, J-A-N-U-S, guarded the door of every house. Vesta, the goddess of the, the goddess of the blazing fire, from which we get the Vestal Virgins, Vesta, the goddess of the blazing fire, was guardian of the hearth. The uh, Penates uh, were the invisible spirits watching over the storeroom. The Lares, L-A-R-E-S, spirits of the ancestors protected the fields. Every, Every family had its own altar. When Rome developed into a city-state, worship consisted of public rights to preserve the welfare of the state. Like most people of his time, the Roman was very superstitious. He had had faith in omens and portents, the flight of birds, the entrails of animals that had been sacrificed, comets, a rat crossing a road, a flash of lightning were among the significant signs by which the future could be read. He believed in evil spirits and ghosts, and his religion grew into one of rites and ceremonies intended to avert the evil forces and win the favor of the gods. Ritual became exact. It was thought that any mistake or omission or even interruption in the ritual of worship made it ineffective. Religion and law began together in Rome and the Roman had a great respect for law. As a result, his religion took on a legalistic term, uh, turn. He performed his devotions with the same regard for the letter, uh, quote-unquote the letter, as he had for the law of his state. His vows were contracts with super, supernatural beings to be observed as faith, faithfully as legal contracts. So, um, if he made a vow, and of course this would be directed at a, another person, the vow was also a contract with a supernatural being to be observed as faithfully as legal contracts. His religion did not demand right morals. It was a religion of duty based on 
a regard for his obligations. <clears throat> In time, the Romans took over the Etruscan gods, Jupiter, Juno, Minerva, and others. And each god was now, for the first time, given human form and a residence in a temple or a shrine. Gods were numerous, and contact with foreign peoples added to their number. They were identified with Greek gods. For example, Jupiter, the sky father of the Etruscans, became the Roman version of the Greek Zeus, or Pater. Mars, the god of war, was the favorite deity of the fighting Romans. From early days, festivals were arranged for certain deities and were celebrated with regular rituals and ceremonies. The Feast of Saturn, the Saturnalia, was a winter festival which lasted for a week beginning on the 25th of December and was celebrated with dancing, the exchanging of gifts, and the burning of, of candles. The Saturnalia was later taken over by the Christians as their Christmas and given a new significance. In the last century of the Republic, religion declined to the last century of the Republic is the century before the advent of, of Jesus, uh, the, the birth of Jesus. Um, in the last century of the Republic, re religion declined to mere formal worship and the educated classes turned to philosophy. Moral degeneration was the result of this spiritual emptiness. Dishonesty in business became widespread. Political corruption grew to be universal. Revelry, debauchery, and demoralized family life poisoned society. The revival of religion by Augustus, uh, he came into 46 BC, uh, 46, somewhere in that time, uh, by, by Augustus was mainly a political move uh, connected, uh, uh, no, Augustus was around 26 BC or so, and, and before him was Caesar. Augustus was mainly a, uh, the revival of religion by Augustus was mainly a p political move connected with the deification of the emperor. Uh, some years after Augustus, emperor worship became the official state religion. <clears throat> Topic, the Roman army. Military service in wartime was required of every Roman citizen from the time he was 17 until he was 45. When hostilities broke out, the farmers and other, <clears throat> and other citizens of Rome were obliged to report for duty. They had to be fully equipped and supported uh, at their own expense. Only the rich could afford to join the cavalry or the equites uh, or knights. That's, they were the equites or the knights, uh, the cavalry. Those next in order of wealth were the heavy armed troops then the light armed, and finally those who could not afford armor and who went as workmen. Under one of the later leaders, a reform was made whereby the soldiers received pay from the, from the state. 
thus enabling the poor man to buy equipment. This gave the poor veteran an equal chance with the rich recruit and made long, longer campaigns possible. <clears throat> All citizens were qualified, who were qualified for service were assembled and the necessary number enrolled in the army. Because of this practice, the Roman army was at first called the legion, or the practice was levy, uh, L-E-V-Y, the, 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 the conscription was called the levy. <clears throat> As the population of the city grew, uh, the, the number of military units was increased, but they were still called legions, each numbering 4,200 men. The Roman legion was superior to the Greek phalanx. I think that should be the Macedonian phalanx, uh, phalanx, which was a solid square of of soldiers. The legion was divided into smaller units, making it more flexible. As occasion demanded, they could spread out and fight independently or unite and fight in a mass. Okay, that brings us to the next chapter, uh, or to the end of this chapter. Uh, And in the next chapter, we will be discussing or reading about the exploits of this fighting force, which is, uh, you know, becomes responsible for the worldwide Roman Empire. All right, so, okay. Well, with that, uh, I will close. And thank you for your attendance and forbearance with any of my uh, uh, mispronunciations. And um, remember to uh, connect for feedback or or to come on to the show uh, at the Facebook page. Um, And that page is Harlem University Radio, or uh, connect uh, uh, via Twitter, uh, Radio Harlem One, the numeral one, Radio Harlem One. So thank you. Um, Shalom, salam, um, so long.